Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, November 7th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So, you know, what's going on with the MBA admissions stuff? Because we're now at this kind of critical juncture where, you know, everyone's interviewing or has found out that they didn't get an interview. And, and it just feels like things are building to the, you know, it's going to be a, the kind of long march to decision days in, you know, usually in December, right? But what's, what have you been seeing going on out there? Yeah, I mean, we're about a month away from um, the final decisions. So that sort of first, second week of December, um, folks will know. So at this juncture, um, it's, did you get an interview? Did you not get an interview invite? Have you interviewed? Yep. Um, that's the sort of stage that we're at. And obviously some schools, they have a, a particular process to release interview invites. So you know your status explicitly at like Harvard and at, at, at Wharton and, and several other programs. Then there are other schools that sort of trickle out those interview invites, which tends to cause a little bit more anxiety um, and, and, and so forth. So there, is still, there are still some schools that have interview invites to release is the point, but not all schools. Yeah. And I, what I, <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's hard when you're in this position of waiting for the results, but I do marvel at some of the stuff people come up with, you know, sort of like, what's the square root of your zip code? That's how the schools are, you know, sending out these invitations. Or, I mean, people are literally, they come up with all these kind of conspiracy theories as to how the admissions office does it. And I mean, I hate to say it, but the admissions office aren't always, particularly with these schools that distribute invites kind of as a, on a kind of rolling basis, I don't think they're as organized as candidates give the schools credit for. And I'm not saying that they're disorganized, but I just mean that, you know, I mean, the applications get divvied up amongst committee members and one committee member may be traveling to Southeast Asia for a bunch of, you know, events or, you know, um, you know, obviously these, these admissions officers go out on the road to promote their school. And so maybe they had less time to read in a given week than somebody who was back at home base. And so there's not a necessarily, like, you can't just assume that because you applied on date X and someone else who applied at that same time has heard and you haven't, that that means anything yeah. because you know, files get multiple reads from multiple readers and it, it just, it, yeah, it's not a, it's not, it's always a, such a linear process. Yeah. But I mean, quite honestly, <laughs> you can see how it caused a lot, a lot of anxiety and a lot of speculation. Oh yeah, absolutely. So there are, there are some schools that have a process that sort of el eliminates that anxiety when you know exactly when you're going to get invited or not. Yeah. And, and other schools that don't, um, you know, so, so, you know, the likes of Stern and Cornell and, and, and Stanford, they, they tend to have these processes that do generate a bit more anxiety. But actually, as we speak, um, it might be that Stanford released those that um, are, are waiting for their round one interviews and didn't have one. They might have released them by now because they tend to do that after they finished. Yes. All their invites. Other schools, they don't. They'll, they'll wait until their final decision. I know before they release folks. So yeah, it it causes anxiety. We understand that. We we see quite a lot of questions out there, whether it's on Livewire or other mm -hmm. um, community platforms, and and just you know, folks, the the reality it, it is the the reality of the process. Yeah, and I I do think that when you have a really large program and a large admission staff, you can kind of afford to say we're going to get everything done by this date, and then we're going to just um, rapidly interview everyone in a short time period. 
Um, whereas I think some of these schools, part of the reason for the way that their process is set up might be due to the ability that their their need to kind of stretch out the interview process in order to serve everyone. I mean, I don't I don't know that for a fact, but I just feel like there could be some of that at play too. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's hard when you're a candidate, and we you know definitely um, empathize with those who are waiting. So hopefully, good news is is afoot for everyone that's still awaiting word. Uh, Alex, a couple of um, things to go over with respect to the site, and also later today at noon, we're having our you and I are going to have our monthly webinar for ClearAdmit Plus users. So if you are a ClearAdmit Plus user or you want to quickly subscribe, you can then um, join us at noon Eastern today, Monday. Um, and you know, we, we basically take any questions you have about the admissions process and usually try to um, also offer up a set of kind of admissions tips and advice as we kick off each session. So it's a fun thing we do once a month with the group and looking forward to that later today. Yeah, no, very good. Always look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, over on the website, we did a couple more real humans pieces, one for the University of Toronto uh, Rotman business school. So that that's um, we caught up with a bunch of current first year students there. And then th we did the same thing with uh, SMU Cox down in Texas, uh, profiled a bunch of students. So if those two schools are on your target list, you definitely need to be reading these profiles to learn about the day-to-day -day experience that students are having. And also just what drove them to join these programs um, can be really insightful. I did want to call everyone's attention to another piece that we ran which I think is just called round two deadlines. And it's a simple you know, thing we put up on the website that's just a chart that shows when each school has their second round deadline, which for most programs means January. And I wanted to uh, underline this only because I noticed that on January 4th and 5th, so literally right after the holidays, there are 16 schools that have deadlines across those two days. And those schools are Tuck, Harvard, UCLA, Wharton, Oxford, Booth, Darden, Stanford, Duke, USC, Tepper, Georgetown, Yale, Berkeley, UT Austin, and London Business School. So, I mean, that is a ton of schools to have deadlines within a 48-hour period that most of the other schools don't follow too far behind. And so I just want to call people's attention to that because it's not quite the same as it is in the first round where things are spread out a bit more and it can create a lot of challenges if you are applying in round two. You've got to get your stuff together in advance. Yeah, it happens every year. It's, it's <laughs> round two deadlines straight after the first weekend in January. Yeah, and basically that's because the admissions officers want to have a pile of applications on their desk um, when they get back from their holidays because I think the second is a holiday this year because the first falls on a Sunday. And so they want to come back from vacation with the you know, files to read. Yeah. Um, but that creates, you know, obviously a lot of work and a lot of overlap in terms of de deadlines. So, um, yeah, just keep that in mind. And I, I say that because I, I know our listeners may be working on round two applications and you don't want to lose sight of that. It's, it can be really challenging um, to get all those pieces together and, and to manage your recommenders, et cetera. So just keep an eye on those deadlines. Uh, we do have a couple of events coming up that I wanted to mention the first is actually um, this Tuesday, November 8th at noon Eastern. We're going to be doing a session all about experiential learning uh, and kind of what that is. And essentially, it's you know where academic theory kind of meets, I guess, real world application, right? And, and it's a feature in a number of um, MBA programs. We've got um, a Mike on our team is going to sit down with a representative from uh, University of Georgia's Terry School of Business. They use a lot of experiential learning over there. So he's going to talk about that with them. And then next, a little bit, well, a couple weeks later, or not even, I guess it's a, a week and a little bit, um, is November 16th at noon Eastern. We've got our deferred enrollment event. 
That's for college students who are thinking about an MBA in the future and want to apply while they're still in college, uh, get in and, and lock in a seat and then go and work um, for a couple of years before joining an MBA program. I'm going to be emceeing that and you can sign up for that at bit.ly forward slash defer MBA. Also, if you're interested in the first um, webinar that I mentioned, that's can you can find signups for that at bit.ly forward slash experiential MBA, all one word, all lowercase. So those are the two events. Um, Alex, people can continue to reach out to us by writing to info at clearadmit.com and using the subject line wiretaps. Um, we haven't had any reviews. I'm kind of waiting. I know one of our regular listeners and site users mentioned that she would be writing us a review. I'm kind of waiting to see that one. That would be good. Um, so yeah, if you like this show, please you know rate and review it. It really helps us to kind of spread the word. Um, other than that, though, do you have anything this week, Alex, before we get into the candidates that you've picked? Now let's kick on. All right. So this is Wiretaps candidate number one. So this first uh, entry for this week that you've picked, Alex, is uh, an apply wire post that we received, and it's a candidate who wants to start school in the fall of 23. They've got nine schools on the target list, and those schools are Berkeley, Columbia, Duke, Michigan, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Chicago, and UCLA. Um, this candidate's been working in what they describe healthcare slash marketing data science, and they want to um, get into tech and maybe pharma after business school. They have a 720 on the GMAT and a 3.3 GPA from undergrad. Uh, it was an engineering degree from a top 10 engineering program, they say. They also mentioned that they're male and that they are an overrepresented minority. Uh, I'm assuming that means they're probably Asian. Um, they've got six years of work experience and they're located in the States and want to stay in the States. And when I say Asian, I mean, you know, Asian American. Um, so that's this candidacy. You had a little bit of back and forth with them about when they're applying because um, you weren't sure if they'd already applied or if they're applying in round two. And they mentioned that they did pursue a master's degree in which they have a 3.8 GPA. So that kind of gives you a little bit more academic background. Uh, but what do you make of this candidacy? Yeah, I mean, uh, from from accounting stats standpoint, I think um, we're we're in pretty good shape. Obviously, the the undergraduate GPA of three point three is a little bit on the lower side, but it is an engineering degree, and they have that master's degree at three point eight. That combines with the um, the the seven twenty on the GMAT, which is a very respectable score. I mean, for the, the M7 programs that they're targeting, actually the GMAT's going to be slightly below average. Right. Um, but, but nevertheless, you know, I, I, I got to assume that this person's going to be smart enough to, to do well in the curricula of the schools that they're targeting. Um, they're, they're male, overrepresented minority, as you say, most likely Asian American in, in that case from the US. Um, so that... That sort of, you know, as they're targeting round two, that might make things a little bit more um, um, tricky than if they were targeting round one. Um, but, but again, it's kind of small margins, I think, at this point. In terms of the number of candidates or applications, and we're speculating those numbers have dropped off again this season. Yeah. Um, not that we have any hard data to support that yet, but if that is the case, the fact that they're from the U.S. is probably going to help them <laughs> quite frankly, because it's that U.S. pool that shrunk more so than the international pool. Right, right. Um, so, so that said, 
their work experience is probably quite interesting. We don't know a lot about it. What we do know is they work in um, data science for uh, healthcare or within the healthcare industry. Um, so, I mean, for, for my own sort of personal perspective, if you can combine someone that understands business and marketing with someone that really understands the data science aspect, that's super, super um, combination at this point. Yeah. They can they they can really um, run far with that I think so um, if they can really show impact and growth at work and you know they've shown initiative and and you know they they they've got projects that they've worked on that have really you know got some strong business outcomes which I'm sure is the case um, that's going to be very um, very favourable they they did they you know they were involved a little bit in their um, undergraduate. Um, program um, in, in terms of being part of some organizations but it doesn't look like extracurriculars is going to be a, a, a real outstanding element of their profile but that all said their target schools m7 to top 16 i think they've got a decent spread there graham I'm, I'm thinking they're probably going to be more top 16 than m7 yeah but that's speculation they they, they want to have that spread yeah, I I mean, the thing for me, so we don't know much about their outside activities. They mentioned they were part of some organizations in college. I mean, I'd want to know more there. Like, what were those organizations? And has yeah. anything carried forward? Like, you know, I mean, maybe this is someone who goes running five days a week and does the occasional marathon or has some things, but they just didn't think that those count in the same way as, you know, volunteering or being part of a formal organization. But I, it'd be good to know more about, yeah, what makes this person tick outside of, you know, the workplace I agree with you. They've got six years of work experience. And so hopefully there are plenty of milestones to point to there. I love the healthcare angle here. And I'm hoping that they can play that. You know, they mentioned they want to be in pharma post MBA and, and, and tech. And so hopefully that plays well too and helps them to differentiate from the typical kind of, you know, um, consulting type path or, you know, I mean, they have this healthcare angle and I just feel like that's something they should lean on a little bit. Um, do you, yeah. Do you think they should be targeting Wharton too? I mean, that did come to mind because of the fact that the Wharton Healthcare Management Program is, it's kind of a niche program and it does, I mean, I'm not going to say it has a higher acceptance rate, but it sort of does if you can, you know, if you tick the boxes for it and have had some interesting healthcare experience and can demonstrate clear goals in that domain. Um, I feel like that office at Wharton will root for you and maybe lobby a bit with the committee to help someone who, you know, maybe on paper just looks sort of like, yeah, they tick all the boxes, but isn't jumping off the page. Um, get over the line, you know? So yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, I actually think, you know, um, their chances, like you say, they've got a wide range of schools. Um, you know, they have UCLA and Ross, but they also have Stanford on the list, right? So in terms of the admissions difficulty, I mean, I, I feel like they should be able to land at one of these. They're, they're American, as we just said, domestic volumes down. Hopefully they have a match in one of these programs, but yeah, it did occur to me that, you know, programs like Duke, Kellogg and Wharton are really no, noteworthy, um, and to an extent Michigan too now for, for kind of healthcare related stuff. And I would, um, yeah, I, I would definitely take a look at Wharton. I do worry that they're trying to get all these apps together for round two. And so there might be a limit to what they can do, but I would encourage them to look at these programs through that lens of, you know, healthcare opportunities post MBA and, um, maybe there's some that can fall off the list. I don't know. Um, they might yeah. also think about admissions difficulty. Um, for example, you know, Berkeley and Columbia are two schools that are quite difficult to get into, um, particularly when you're not really decision or first round. And so I, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting um, 
situation that they're in because I, I doubt they're going to get nine apps in in round two. But yeah, it also depends where they want to be, right? I mean, they've got a bunch of West Coast schools on this list, and they also have some East. So I, you know, geographically, it'd be helpful if they had a preference. Yeah, but I, I kind of agree. Maybe Wharton makes more sense for them than Columbia. Yeah, given that Columbia is just going to be more difficult because they didn't come in early decision. Yeah, um, and and so forth. But yeah, ge- geographic focus post MBA would would probably help them pare down this list a little bit. I mean, obviously, a program like Wharton does have the West Coast campus, so it can be a little bit sort of ambidextrous or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do like the spread of schools. But yeah, th- those healthcare programs are essentially going to be Wharton and Kellogg and and Fuqua and and Ross, and they've got three out of four of those on the list. Yeah, yeah. So I I mean I yeah, again I think that it's going to take some execution on the part of this candidate, and I would encourage them to probably pare down the list a bit. You know, probably apply to like six schools or something, five or six, and. Yeah, they're going to need to make sure that the application itself is strong. You know, the essays yeah. are well written and compelling, all that stuff, um, because the, yeah. you know, the counting stats aren't going to jump off the page or anything. So, yeah. Um, in any event, yeah, I want to wish them luck. Hopefully, they can also brainstorm what their current activities and interests are, so that they come across as not being, you know, sort of too one dimensional or anything. But yeah, yeah, I like a lot of what I see here. I just, you know, it'd be good to have a little more information, and they're going to need to make the recipe from these ingredients. So. Yeah, we we love geeks and nerds, but we <laughs> love geeks and nerds that have other interests outside of yes. crunching those numbers. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, so I want to thank that person for their post and wish them the best of luck as they head into round two. Uh, take note of all those deadlines being on the same day because uh, that's yeah. going to be challenging. Uh, let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another Applywire entry. Um, it's somewhat unique in that this candidate just has two schools on the target list, and those schools are Georgetown and other and they didn't actually specify it's a school i guess that wasn't on our pick list so i'm assuming um, since they want to stay in the washington dc metro area that it's a program nearby um, which could you know there are a bunch of schools obviously you've got american university you've got what is it um uh, university of maryland um there's uh isn't there george washington university I, i'm getting confused yeah. with my yeah anyway there are a whole bunch of local um, programs there so they have one other school on their list we don't know what it is they want to start school in the fall um, they've been working in civil engineering, specifically public transport and infrastructure. They would love to pivot into consulting post-MBA. They have a really solid GRE score of 326. Their undergraduate GPA was a 2.67. Um, they do have a grad degree that they, you know, that, that they undertook, presumably in engineering. I'm not, I'm not certain of that, but they did mention that um, they had a better performance there. They did not tell us what that GPA was in their master's degree, but apparently better than a 267. <laughs> um, the one thing that's that's a little different about this candidate is that they have 15 years of work experience. And, and that was kind of all they gave us. So we don't know much about outside activities or, you know, as I said, we don't know what the other school they're applying to is or how they did in that master's degree. But what do you make of this, um, Alex? Because it, it's a little unorthodox, you know, full-time, yeah. they're targeting full-time programs. They've got 15 years of experience, so they're what, 37 years old or somewhere in that ballpark? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think yeah. of this? They're still a lot younger than me, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things I wanted to discuss with respect to this candidate, um, because I think it's really important because... You know, when, I, when I'm looking at this candidate's profile, and, and they responded to a couple of my queries and so forth, 
Um, I think they, they sort of assume um, to some degree that the fact that they have 15 years of experience and it's really interesting experience and really good experience, let's just assume that is the case, that that's going to really make them stand out and help them overcome some um, other aspects of their candidacy where, where they, they won't be standing out, right? Mm-hmm. And while to some extent I can buy a little bit of that argument, I would also um, forewarn um, a candidate like this that you can have great experience, but if your academic profile is, is, is ho-hum or mediocre or whatever, that experience doesn't make up for a, a weaker element of the, of the profile, right? Right, yeah. Um, so it's not like, well, you've got an extra five years of experience and you were a manager and you undertook these that that then forgives some of the other aspects of the candidacy. So I wanted to sort of make that clear. Um, and, <coughs> excuse me, we do have a low undergraduate GPA. So they're going to need to explain that in the um, optional essay. They, they do, um, you know, they did have some mental health um, issues that they were dealing with at the time. So they're going to need to explain that and also explain how those are no longer an issue right um and so on and so forth they have a graduate degree that's going to be helpful in that regard their gre 326 is going to be competitive for the schools that they're targeting so that's going to help um but i don't want them to think that 15 years is you know a a professional experience necessarily also helps them overcome their their um, um academic work because it really doesn't and the admissions committee are really going to need to feel fully confident that uh, this profile, this candidate will, you know, really hit the ground running in that first quarter and do super, super well and not struggle um, with, with the academic experience. So, so there's that. And then the other thing that really stands out to me is if you have 15 years of professional experience and you're determined that full-time program is the way for you to go, which you know, I asked this candidate about this and, and they, they sort of pushed back and said, yeah, it is full time. They're really going to have to show fit, Graham, um, in, 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 in terms of, you know, they're going to be someone that comes to the program, gets fully engaged both in the academic experience as well as the extracurricular experience and the recruiting experience and really contribute because the speculation is, as an outlier, the, the more senior end, that you're, you're really not, you know, you're going to dip in and out of the MBA experience a little bit more and not fully contribute. So that fit element is going to be super, super important. Yeah. Um, and the adcom are going to be, you know, as they're reviewing the candidacy, they're going to be thinking, well, how are we going to facilitate this person's professional goals and so on and so forth, make sure their recruiting's aligned with that. Um, etc. So they're going to really have to think through all that stuff, yeah, um, and 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 so forth. So I just wanted to that, and that's one of the reasons why I I chose this the, this profile because it it's like I got a sense when I'm reading their entry on ApplyWire that they have made a couple of assumptions that I'm not sure is exactly how things will play out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the first thing I thought of when I saw this profile, I and and I saw their comment about, I mean, they literally said. Um, I'm not, I said, they said, I have a subsequent master's degree, so I'm not terribly worried about my undergraduate GPA. Okay. Um, I understand what they're saying. 
But the fact of the matter is, is that these full-time programs are not reporting your master's degree GPA to US News and World Report or to any of the rankings organizations. They're reporting your undergraduate GPA. That's what goes into the calculation of the average undergraduate GPA for the entire class that's coming in. And so while having the master's will convince the committee of the fact that maybe you are can be a good student, have overcome some health, mental health issues, et cetera, it still doesn't help the, the committee in terms of you know their numbers, right? So, and then you could say, well, the GRE is probably a little bit north of what these schools are averaging. So that does help, which is nice. Um, but I, I also, you know, I was kind of a little worried about, they didn't say what firms they want to work for, but they said consulting. And so my instant thought was, well, does a 37-year-old make the pivot to go work at, you know, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, or Deloitte, et cetera? And I think on the margin, that might be a little harder too. You know, it could be that, yeah. um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, these firms are hiring people at that age for sure. But it's what's funny to me is normally the 37-year-old who gets hired by McKinsey or something is like a PhD subject matter expert in something who's being poached away from academia or, or something um, or an internal job at a company as a researcher to kind of become a consultant. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried that I, I get why they might want to do this pivot. Um, if they're working in kind of public transport infrastructure, they're probably saying, hey, uh, I've got some money saved up. I'm going to do an MBA and then I'll cash in on the back end of this with a big kind of for-profit style salary. Um, but I think that, yeah, I, I just wanted them to be aware, like you say, of the need to demonstrate fit, um, of the fact that, you know, they're going to have to, um, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle, particularly at Georgetown. I don't know what the other school is. It could be that the other school has remarkably different, you know, kind of admission standards and stuff. So we don't really right. know, but in any event, I'm glad you picked this cause it is kind of an interesting case. And I do think we have some folks on the, you know, tuning in who have a lot more experience and are kind of curious, like, cause my, my first thought when I saw this as well was, if I were working in admissions at, at Georgetown or any of these um, DC area schools, I would probably say, have you looked at our part-time program? You know, that would be my first exactly. <laughs> comment to this yeah. person. So they're going to face that uphill kind of battle in that regard. So um, hopefully they'll keep us posted and maybe shed some more light on some of the questions we had, but I do want to thank them for sharing their profile um, and hopefully our advice is, you know, useful as they kind of move forward in this process. Very good. All right. So let's move on though and talk about wiretaps candidate number three. So this is an applywire entry that you selected, Alex. Um, and the only difference here is that this candidate doesn't want to start school until the fall of 24. So they're kind of, you know, a year or so away from applying, thinking ahead. Um, they've got four schools on their target list at the moment. Uh, and that is basically the trilogy. So Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, plus University of Chicago Booth. They have been working as something called a reservoir engineer um, and an investment banking analyst. Those are two different roles that they've had um, pre-MBA here. They want to get into either consulting or maybe private equity after business school. Um, and they list all the usual suspects on the consulting side. And then they've got um, you know, some banks, Goldman Sachs Principal Investment Group, TPG, and KKR for those kind of PE shops. Their GPA from undergrad was a 3.2. Uh, they've got five years of work experience, or I guess presumably we would have five maybe at the time of matriculation, um, located in Houston, Texas, and they don't really have a preference as to where they land post-MBA. Um, they were really nice in their post in that they said that they wanted to thank everyone for their time in reviewing the profile and offering suggestions on how to make them a stronger candidate. Uh, and so then they went into this sort of um, rather lengthy kind of storyline and sort of explaining that they're 
um, Asian American parents immigrated from uh, Vietnam, sounds like, and opened like a nail salon. And so they're kind of the first generation to go off to college. I think they have an older sibling who went first, but still their generation's the first one to go off to college. Um, this person said that they didn't really know about opportunities in banking and finance um, because in their family it was like, we're moving to America, we're going to, um, you know, position you to become a doctor or an engineer or something, right? So those were the two paths that were sort of pushed forward there. Um, so as a result, they kind of um, went to school. Uh, I guess they did an engineering uh, degree where they have that 3-2 uh, from LSU. And they ended up getting a master's after that um, where they had a 3-5 and they went off and joined Shell um, Oil Company. So they started as a reservoir engineer, but Despite having kind of rotated through some different things there, they wanted to move on um, into kind of a finance role. They got fascinated by the kind of financial side of this stuff. And so um, in the recent past, they've joined um, a, an A&D advisory firm. So we'll get into some of the acronyms because they talked also about how, you know, um, they do both the engineering work in this role and the NAVDCF modeling. So we'll we'll unpack all these acronyms, Alex. But let's get into you know the candidacy. What what do you make of this profile and, and this kind of pivot that they've done from kind of an energy engineering type job into kind of a finance job? And yeah, they've got a year to kind of work on things, and they don't have a test score. So what are your kind of thoughts or bits of advice as they move forward? DCF is discounted cash flow. That is correct. <laughs> what, I knew that. Yeah, one point was, for, yeah, an A. I was, I was trying to <laughs> test myself on the various acronyms. Yeah, and uh, A and D advising is acquisitions and divestitures advising. Yes. So they're working. Now you're, show, yeah. now you're showing off, Graham. Now you're <laughs> so showing off. They're working at a bank that I guess is probably helping, um, you know, uh, oil companies to decide, you know, what do they buy? What do they divest? Um, and they're doing, yeah. yeah, net asset value is NAV and DCF, you're right, is discounted cash flows. So lots yeah. of acronyms though. And the reason I mentioned them is because they probably don't want to use those acronyms in their applications because they will confuse yeah. the admissions reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, we, we had a chat about this candidate before we came on air and, and you made a really, really good point, I think, that pivot that they where they work for Shell and then they switched into onto the banking side, really sort of going after what they're truly interested in, um, and and sort of yeah, I I I think that sort of may possibly says a lot about this candidate. I think their work experience is probably the real highlight of this um, candidacy. Yeah. Um, in terms of their experience at Shell, now their experience on 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 the financing side. It, all remaining, I think, within the energy industry, the energy sector. Yeah. Um, so I really like that. I like the fact that they're a first gen um, candidate. Um, you know, you, you could sort of picture uh, um, them, them and their brother, I think, their older brother going, going off to college for the first time and their, their parents sort of have <laughs> done everything to set them off and, yeah. and stuff. So there are probably some good stories to tell from that. And their appreciation of the opportunities that they've had along the way um, gifted to them by their parents sort of fortitude and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so I really like all that. Um, this candidate, like you say, 3-2 GPA is not outstanding. It's an engineering degree, so it's not awful either. But they did come back and, well, they got a master's degree. I think that was more because the economy wasn't um, so good at the time. So they stayed on, got a master's. But their master's degree... GPA is good. 
um, they really got to knuckle down and ace the GMAT, um, oh, certainly yeah. for the target programs that they've got listed. I mean, they're M7 or bust. I think they're probably an M7 candidate or on the cusp of being an M7 candidate. So if they can really deliver on a, you know, a 750 GMAT or something like that, that's going to help shore that up. Um, but if their GMAT comes back in that sort of early 700s, they might need to spread their risk a little bit. I think if a candidate like this ends up going to a top 16 program, it's still going to provide them a lot of um, opportunity, I think, going forward. But that does bring me to one other aspect that concerns me a little bit, and that's the desire to move into private equity, which I think is a, 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 a good, ambitious goal. Um, but, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to break into private equity. Um, and, you know, if, if schools re- read the profile and see that that's their sort of hard goal, they might get a little bit squeamish and maybe having a, um, a, a, an, an intermediate goal before getting into private equity might, might be a little bit more palatable. Um, yeah. Again, I'm a little confused by all these finance acronyms. Maybe they're already doing private equity type work, and they can <laughs> make that set that that move into private equity more sort of thing. But that's that would be an area that I I would right. have a little bit of concern with. Well, and I want to draw a distinction between what they actually do post MBA. So let's imagine that they go and take the GMAT, and they and I, you you hit it on all the all the things here that I had written down in my notes, which is you know. They need a great big GMAT score. So yeah. if they can get a 750 or some great GMAT score, that'll be fantastic. And that'll help address the slightly lower undergraduate GPA and, and make the master's GPA more believable, et cetera. So if they do that, and let's say they get into one of these M7 type schools, let's say they go to Wharton or Harvard or whatever it is that they've got on the list here, um, they can recruit for private equity. They can certainly try, right? Yeah. But that's always challenging. And so I think what... What we would look for is what's a short-term goal that might be um, more feasible so that, you know, and maybe that's investment banking. Like maybe they just go to New York, work in banking, and then make their way into private equity or, you know, whatever it is. Um, that might be more palatable, more feasible um, from the admissions committee standpoint in terms of their goals. So I agree. The only thing I was worried about is that one of the things that I think helps this candidate to jump out a little bit, aside from the great storyline that you described of being kind of a bootstrapper and, you know, the parents open a nail uh, salon uh, coming from Vietnam, like it's, I mean, you can just picture this and it's Mm. a great story. But the thing that I liked as well was this, you know, kind of niche focus on the energy sector. Um, and, and so I was thinking, wow, you know, this could be pretty, I could see a private equity shop that's doing some investments in that field wanting to snatch this kind of candidate up because of their expertise as both an engineer, you know, the reservoir engineer, as well as the kind of finance experience that they've had in the same sector. And so they're kind of a gold mine in that respect, but they mentioned in their comments that they're thinking of moving out of the energy sector. And so that was kind of a bummer. Um, and, and, you know, maybe, I don't know what they want to do. Um, it's, it's unclear if they had a specific sector focus for their private equity aspirations, but I would recommend that they, I don't know, maybe they want to get into renewables or something that's at least adjacent to what they've been doing. I just feel like they're kind of, um, they run the risk of kind of, I don't know, they're, they're going to look like someone who wants to change both, um, you know, industry and kind of role and, and you know, kind of the, the, the double pivot or whatever you want yeah. to call it. And, and so 
I don't know. I, that was a bummer to me. Uh, to but you that. brought this point up on several podcast episodes, Graham. I mean, yeah. if, if they have an experience and really valuable experience in the energy sector, how can they parlay that into what they're planning to do post-MBA? Right. The easiest way to make that case is if they were remaining in that sector yeah. um, or, like you say, tangentially related. So that will... Um, improve the overall quality of their candidacy if they mm-hmm. look like someone that's going to uh, make use more effectively of their experiences to date. Um, so um, I think that's a really important point. The other thing that is a little bit of a concern and the reason why all this other stuff needs to be really nailed down hard is there's a little bit of a lack of extracurricular activities mm-hmm. potentially um, because you know, as a first generation um, um, candidate, if they were now mentoring others within their community um, to go to college and so on and so forth, that's really, really strong and right. powerful. Right. Um, but um, it doesn't seem that they've gone down that route. They're probably spending a lot, a lot of time at work, yeah. um, given their work trajectory. So, yeah. so that's somewhat understandable. But if they were also doing that, that would be a huge um, um, additional sort of aspect to their candidacy. So the fact that they're not makes all this other stuff really, really important. Yeah, and I would encourage them to think about what their outside activities are. Like they probably have some things they do. Um, I mean, maybe they're spending a lot of time helping to run the family business or who knows, right? There could be things that they're doing that they didn't mention here. But um, Mm. the other thing I did think of is, you know, they could go um, off to business school and argue that they want to get into consulting uh, but that they want to consult um, with large oil and gas and renewable, you know, uh, other energy kind of sector companies, uh, you know, with with the McKinsey, Bain or BCG or something that they want to pivot in that direction. Yeah. That would still save the industry focus. But and there are people who go to McKinsey and then work their way, um, you know, into kind of investment type roles, too. It's just less common than the banking path. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, they've got a lot to think about. And luckily, they have a lot of time. And yeah. so for now, I would say get a really great GMAT score between now and say May 1st, um, you know, just get that out of the way and then, you know, really start to focus on your outside activities in, in the meantime as well and start to think about, yeah, the, these goals and, and how they can kind of turn it into a coherent story that, that will resonate. Very good. All right. So we've done it uh, once again, Alex, we made our, our way through three real candidates who shared their profiles on the website. Appreciate you picking these out and we'll do it all next week if you're keen to. And uh, yeah, thanks for all your time today and we'll see you next week. Very good. Best luck, everyone. Stay safe.